Today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. The millennium is going to be here on earth. And, and again, try to, it's kind of gnarly, I know, but try to imagine this. The earth during the kingdom age for 1,000 years is going to be like it was when Adam and Eve were here before sin entered the world. Wow. Uh, if you ever wondered what it was like before sin entered the world, we're going to get to know for a thousand years what it's going to be like. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Psalms. During the kingdom age, there will be 1,000 years of sinless living with Jesus as the king. Pastor J.D. helps us understand how the world will be at first when Jesus comes back to earth. Mankind will finally live the way in which they were intended to, praising and proclaiming Jesus as king in a land of peace and prosperity. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. Now, here's Pastor J.D. in Psalms chapter 2 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. All right, let's jump in. Psalm 2, verse 1. Now, I want to, on this psalm, I want to, and this is how I'm going to probably do it throughout the uh, study through the book of Psalms. Some of the psalms, I want to just kind of read through them and then expound upon them. Uh, as we're going to probably when we get to Psalm 3 tonight, I want to take it in smaller uh, bite-sized uh, chunks just because of the, the nature of the psalm. It's important to understand that these are songs, really. Uh, one has likened the book of Psalms to uh, a hymn book of sorts. So uh, it's meant to be uh, read maybe in that way, I guess what I'm trying to say. So Psalm 2 Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings, verse 2, of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. I like that. (laughs) The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree, verse 7. The Lord has said to me, you are my son today I have begotten you. You know who that's referring to, right? Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, be wise, O kings, Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. And then verse 12, very interesting. Kiss the son, lest 
he be angry and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. I want to begin with a couple of thoughts here on Psalm 2. The first of which has to do with who wrote it and how we know who wrote it. And then perhaps more importantly, why they wrote it. We know from the book of Acts, which I want to uh, read from here in a moment, but from the book of Acts, we know that this psalm was written by none other than David, the sweet psalmist of Israel. What may be more important is why it is that David wrote this. And I would suggest that it was written for the encouragement of God's people, especially when they're facing persecution from the ungodly. Before I read from Acts chapter 4, verses 24 through 31, where this psalm is actually quoted from, I want to give you a little bit of the backstory. It'll kind of give you the, the context. Peter and John had been arrested. They're put in jail overnight. And this because they were preaching Jesus Christ and him crucified. And the problem was, is that uh, they were turning the world upside down. People were coming to Christ by the multitudes. And this was a problem for the Sanhedrin, the teachers of the law and the leaders in that day. So they're in prison overnight the next day. They're brought before the Sanhedrin and their question. And in order to get them to stop preaching Jesus, they are commanded, even really threatened, not to ever speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. They're forbidden to do so. So after further threatening, they let them go because they couldn't decide how to punish them with all the people that were praising God for all the things that were happening. Uh, some of the things that were happening is that people were getting healed in Jesus' name. <laughs> so on their release, they go back and they report all that had been said. Oh, by the way, I, I don't want to leave this part out. Uh, I would encourage you to, in your own time in God's Word, read uh, Acts chapter 4. It's one of the most powerful chapters in the entire book of Acts. I know I say that about all the, all the chapters and all of the books and all of the Bible, but chapter 4 is really an interesting chapter. Um, when they're arrested, when they're questioned the next day, throughout this whole ordeal, they are so bold. And they are just up in their grill saying to them, that there is no other name given among men whereby you must be saved. It's the name of Jesus. Can you just imagine how infuriated they had become? And so they don't know quite what to do with these guys. So they basically release them. And when they do, they go back to everyone and report all that have been said to them. And when they heard this, they cowered in fear and trepidation. No. <laughs> the opposite is true. They were emboldened with what I like to call a holy boldness. And it was a, 
a, a sanctified strengthening of their resolve to preach Jesus and praise Jesus even more. And that's what they did. So when they hear this, they all were told, raise their voices together in prayer to God, saying, and this is where verse 24 begins, Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke, and here it is, verse 25, by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. That's how we know who wrote Psalm 2. And then they quote Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. This is, if you will, a fulfillment of sorts of Psalm 2, yet future, when David, the sweet psalmist of Israel, penned it. Let me read on, verse 26. The kings of the earth, I already read that one, verse 27. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Uh, excuse me, <laughs> uh, Peter, John, isn't that what got you in trouble in the first place? Yeah. So you're asking God for even more boldness? Yeah. So verse 30, stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And then verse 31, after they prayed, oh, you'll forgive me, but would to God <laughs> that the place where we are meeting would be shaken as it was for them where after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. By the way, parenthetically, let me say that throughout the book of Acts, whenever there was the baptism with the Holy Spirit, the filling of and with the Holy Spirit, one of the telltale signs of that was not the speaking in tongues, though that was the case on many occasions, but on every occasion, what accompanied the baptism and the filling with the Holy Spirit was boldness, boldness. And that's what they prayed for, and that's what they got. Well, the second thought is about something we talked about in Psalm 1 last week, which is that of the entirety of the book, really the entirety of Scripture, being all about Jesus. You could put a caption, just a, a name as a caption under Psalm 2, and it would just be the name of Jesus. Woven throughout the fabric of this psalm particularly are 
references to Jesus as the Messiah, particularly in verse 7, which is actually quoted in the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, verse 5. Let me read it. For to which of the angels did he ever say, and this is the quoting of Psalm 2, you are my son, today I have begotten you, and again I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. So earlier today when I sent Gail the notes for tonight's study, a Jewish brother in Christ by the name of Bo, he lives in Hawaii Kai, emailed the office about Psalm 2, and I want to just kind of share with you what he had to say. He says, Mahalo for the notes. FYI, Psalm 2 is a big evangelistic tool used in Israel to convert Jews to believe in Jesus. The Israeli Jews know when it says to kiss the sun, they know that it is speaking of Jesus and the worship of Jesus. In Hebrew, he says, I think it takes on a whole new meaning. There are certain passages, uh, here, here is one. Uh, there are others, of course, in the book of Isaiah that make uh, Jews very uncomfortable because <laughs> there's no getting around them because they are so pronounced and prevalent and, and even prophetic as they point to the person of Jesus Christ. I want to point out one more thing before you move on to Psalm 3, and it has to do with verses 6 through 8 concerning God's holy hill of Zion. It's believed that this is a reference to the kingdom age, or also known as the millennium, which is after the second coming, which is at the end of the seven-year tribulation, is that 1,000-year period. By the way, we always talk about the rapture, and then, of course, the seven-year tribulation that comes after, then the second coming, and then we always talk about being in heaven. But what we keep forgetting is there's going to be 1,000 years, if you can just try to wrap your mind around it. And I know that every time I talk about the kingdom age at uh, has the propensity to jam people's gears. So I'm going to, you know, if I jam your gears, I do so in Jesus name. <laughs> so here's just a, a, a quick, uh, synopsis or summary of, uh, what the millennium is. Now it's believed that, and this is according to the book of Revelation, that there will be those who will somehow, some way live outside the system of the Antichrist who controls the world as a one-world government, a one-world religion, and a one-world economy. Somehow they're going to live off the grid, as it were, and they're not going to accept the mark of the beast, which will seal their fate for all eternity. There's no turning back once somebody accepts in the seven-year tribulation the mark of the beast. That's it. They, they've sealed their fate. They are doomed and they are damned for all eternity. Now, we also know that converse, converse and the flip side of that, there are going to be those who, and they're referred to as tribulation saints, not the church. The church is not to be, I get this question a lot 
Uh, forgive me if I sound like I'm irritated, <laughs> because this is one of the f- most flimsy, for lack of a better word, argument when it comes to those who try to refute the truth of the pre-tribulation rapture. They say, well, what about the people in the book of Revelation that are beheaded because they refuse to accept the mark of the beast, the Antichrist? And John is even questioning in the book of Revelation, who are these? And they are referred to as tribulation saints. These are people who will not, who refuse to accept the Antichrist and the mark of the beast. And in so doing, they accept Christ. We'll see them in heaven. But they are not the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ, and there's a delineation in the book of Revelation again, and I want to say it's in chapter 20, where we see, and it has to do with the millennium, where we as the bride of Christ are seated on the throne, but there's a delineation between the servants who are serving at the throne. Do you see the, and we also see this distinction in the wedding feast of the Lamb. I don't want to get too uh, technical. I just kind of want to give you a thumbnail sketch of uh, what the millennium is going to be like. Now, the millennium is going to be here on earth. And, and again, try to, it's kind of gnarly, I know, but try to imagine this. The earth during the kingdom age for 1,000 years is going to be like it was when Adam and Eve were here before sin entered the world. Wow. Uh, if you ever wondered what it was like before sin entered the world, we're going to get to know for a thousand years what it's going to be like. Now, where is Satan? Oh, this is the cool part. Uh, and, and it's really interesting because in Revelation we're told that an angel, no name, it's not Gabriel, it's not Michael, it's like a no-name intern of an angel takes the devil and throws him into the bottomless pit where he will remain for 1,000 years. I only mention it like that because it can give us a much-needed perspective when it comes to the devil. And by that I mean we do err greatly when we err on either side of, when it comes to the devil, of giving him too much credit. And then we also err on the other side by not giving him enough credit. He is a created being. He is a created being. Uh, I think it was Warren Wiersbe who uh, once said that the devil is God's devil. God created the devil. The devil is not God's opposite. And the devil can only do what God allowed. We just saw that in the book of Job, didn't we? (laughs) Job couldn't do anything. I mean, Satan couldn't do anything to Job unless God allowed him to. So here's this no-named angel, takes the devil, throws him into the bottomless pit where he will remain for 1,000 years. And at the end of the 1,000 years, he is loosed. And then there's this, you can call it a battle. It's not really much of a battle. Uh, It's the final defeat at the end of the millennium. And here's what's really, and this boggles many people's minds, because during the 1,000 years, 
Uh, those who made it out of the tribulation, neither accepting Jesus Christ nor the mark of the Antichrist, will enter into the millennium and they will have bodies like that of Adam and Eve. And they will have children and their children will have children. And they will live under this enforced righteousness, as it were, and we will rule and reign with him, with Christ, during the millennium. Now, uh, this is where at the end of the millennium, 1,000 years, think about that. I mean, just, you know, try to get some perspective. Uh, we, we call it, you know, our lifespan is basically, as we call it, uh, three score and 10, 70 years, right? So <laughs> 1,000 years. And these people are going to multiply. There's going to be, I mean, this is where Tom comes in handy. You can do the math. I don't know what the population of the earth is going to be during the millennium, uh, 1,000 years. And uh, the mortality rate is such that, um, you know, I think there's a reference in Revelation that, you know, uh, someone will die at a young age at 300 or whatever it is. So, but at the end of the 1,000 years, those people during the millennium will have to choose between Jesus Christ and the devil who has been just now loosed from the bottomless pit. And this is what is so hard to even fathom or comprehend. There will be those that after living for 1,000 years in this enforced righteousness, this kingdom age with Jesus Christ ruling and reigning, they will choose the devil. I, that's too high for my understanding. If it weren't in the Word of God, I wouldn't believe it. But it's in the Word of God. And then, after that is done, a thousand years later, (laughs) then the devil is cast into the lake of fire. And then that begins eternity future. That's the new heavens and the new earth. And the new Jerusalem is massive. In fact, one Bible commentator suggests that because we have the dimensions of the New Jerusalem, which again, this is kind of hard for us to fathom in the finite, but um, it is believed that the New Jerusalem will have been and will be uh, large enough for every human being, every man, woman, and child ever born in the history of mankind from the beginning of Adam to the end. Now that is compatible with what we know to be true about, I know I'm kind of going a little bit further, but just indulge me. That is compatible with what we know to be true about the will of God. It is not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We're so glad you joined us today for Pastor J.D.'s continuing teaching in the book of Psalms. While our time with you is ending, your study of God's Word doesn't have to. Everyone can learn from the Bible, and everyone will be blessed when they open their hearts to its truth. As you spend time in Scripture today, ask God to share His heart directly with yours, and be open to whatever He has to teach you. Know that we're praying for you as you study and we'll continue to do so each time we produce a new edition of In Spirit and Truth. Are you in the Kaneohe area? If so, we'd love to have you come be a part of our weekly services. 
Calvary Chapel Kaneohe meets each week to spend time praising the Lord and learning from His Word. Find out more about us and get directions at inspiritandtruthradio.com. You can also hear additional teachings from Pastor J.D. while you're there or download our mobile app for Apple and Android devices to access these messages anywhere and everywhere. We'd also like to point out Pastor J.D.'s Mideast Prophecy Update. Each Friday and Saturday, Pastor J.D. updates us on where the world is in conjunction with the prophecies of the Bible. He takes the time to comb through the news and tell us how world events line up with God's plan as stated in His Word. If you'd like to view the latest edition of the Mideast Prophecy Update, visit our website. Again, that's in spiritandtruthradio.com. Thanks for joining us today for Pastor J.D.'s teaching, and we hope you'll tune in again right here on In Spirit and Truth.